Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster and Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. There are investments that are available to the general public. And then there are private investments. What is the difference and who can access the vehicles? Foster and Motley's Rachel Rasmussen has the answers. I'm Patrice Sikora, forever asking the questions, and this show is no different. So, Rachel, what are private investments? Thanks, Patrice, for setting this up today and having a conversation about a lesser-known topic, private investments. So private investments are interests, ownership in a company, fund, partnership, or business whose securities or ownership not publicly traded. They're not publicly traded. So they're different than publicly traded investments such as a stock or a bond or an ETF, exchange traded fund, because they're not available on public exchanges or through dealer markets. You have to have some sort of connection or knowledge about them and you have to be approved to buy it. So we think these are pretty interesting. They have a different structure as well. It's all dictated based on the limited partnership agreement. They're limited in the number of investors that can get into them. They are also limited to a certain type of investor that would be even allowed to buy them in the first place. And also we have to consider this. They do have a different fee structure. Most of these have a performance component to it, such that if the investment did well, there would be a sharing of profits between the investor and between the general partner who's running the private investment. Well, it sounds like it's rather exclusive, rather she-she in some respects, but we'll get to that in Right, right. Let's talk about, give me some examples of uh, types of private investments. So there's, these things can range from different types of of investments you can get into with these, such as private equity. You can have basically an ownership in either startup of companies uh, or more established companies that have been around for quite some time. You can have ownership. You can also have private real estate where you are actually sharing in the ownership of properties or property, uh, depending on how it's structured, could be apartments or could be office space or retail, what have you. You can also have direct lending, which is more bond-like in structure, such that you would be lending directly to companies, developers, even charter schools, for example. So these can really range in in what you can get into. All right. So who are they appropriate for? So that's how these investments truly differ from public opportunities. These investments are restricted by law to sophisticated investors. So with the idea that those that have higher incomes or greater assets they're more likely to be able to take on the risk of these investments and also to evaluate the merit of these investments um, and and ultimately have access 
to others, such as advisors, for example, who can help them evaluate those investments. So the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, tests for sophistication in one of two ways. The first way is if you are an accredited investor. So to be accredited, a person must have an annual income exceeding $200,000 or a joint income with a spouse of $300,000 on an annual basis for the last two years with the expectation that they would be earning the same or even higher in the current year that they hadn't filed their tax return for. Um, or they can have a net worth that exceeds a million dollars either individually or jointly with a spouse. So that's the first way. Um, several private investments allow accredited investors. A higher level of qualification is a qualified purchaser. So a qualified purchaser is an indiv individual or a family-owned business that owns $5 million or more in investments. So talking about a larger amount of assets. The term investments does not include primary residence or any property use for the business. So they have to have $5 million to be working with to qualify as a QP, qualified purchaser. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, to, just to jump in, that, that accredited investor, that's not a terribly, terribly high bar. No, no, it's not. That's not the only bar you kind of want to consider. There's the legal bar and there's the should you invest in well, these yeah. types of in investments. So you have to think about investors who can withstand a certain level of illiquidity because a lot of these private investments, once you're in them, you're tied up for a certain period. And that's that's written out in the private placement memorandum or the, the document um, that sets up, up the investments. But what you wanna think about is can this person couple business afford to have this money tied up for certain, for that long of time. And, and some people can't, maybe you're taking withdrawals in retirement. You don't want to be that tied up. Um, also, you want to have a larger portfolio such that you can have many, many different types of investments, broad diversification, so that this one particular investment, private investment that you're in doesn't completely derail your portfolio. So you want to think about that as well. Don't have an overly large percentage in any one type of investment. So those are some other things in practice you want to think about because oftentimes these have high minimum investment amounts. So when you consider that, it normally requires a larger portfolio. All right, then why would you want to invest in one of these? That's, that is the question. <laughs> so <laughs> these investments, they can allow a person to target a much wider range of opportunities, oftentimes than the public markets. So you can get access to new ways of getting return. You also would do this type of investment if you think there's an opportunity to earn more money. And really, why would that be? We call that the illiquidity premium. So when you invest in a less than daily liquid security, there's an expectation that there's less of a cash drag or a volatility impacts performance because the general partner can put the money to work and just focused on making sure they can get the return that they've 
um, indicated to their investors. So you would expect that you would make some more money off of, off of these. You'd also want to invest if you don't necessarily need to see daily pricing because these private investments, um, they can be only valued perhaps once a year by an independent appraisal, for example. So there's not as much movement in the daily pricing, which can sometimes allay concerns or sometimes increase them. But, but essentially what's happening is you don't have this capital flows in and out of a fund. So that can influence returns. If you have a lot of investors that are redeeming or allowed to redeem, that can force the manager of the money to have to sell things, maybe not at a good price. And these sort of investments, you're locked in for a specified period of time. So that helps you and others, or it can, reduce the volatility of the, the pricing. Oh, last but not least, some of these have a tax savings component, not all. <laughs> and people like that, right? So tax saving component is that in the early years, especially with the private real estate, you can use depreciation as an expense. And that can offset income along the way. So in the earlier years of these investments, you can be cash flowing, but the depreciation is offsetting it, creating this, what we call depreciation shield. Now I'm not a CPA, so I'm getting in the weeds, but it, it doesn't work for, for all of these private investments, but it can be something that you know you, you seek out. So that, that's something to check out as you're looking through the, the documents. The big question for me then becomes, does Foster and Motley invest in private investments? Yes, we do invest in private investments. It's something we do for some, not all of our clients, because going back to what we discussed earlier, there's a level of appropriateness and fit. We think it adds value to their investing experience because we're looking for ideas to, to bring to them. We, we think that's important. It shows that we have a duty to them to try to find, find them good opportunities um, that we think are good opportunities. Um, so we spent a lot of time researching and vetting these investments, a lot of due diligence. It requires a significant investment on our part of time, care. And so not all firms do this. We, we think it's a nice value for our clients. So, so we want to want to give them that level of service. Obviously, each individual person has to sign off on the investment. They have to be signing off. So they're going to look at the limited partnership agreement. They're going to look at the private placement memorandum and other documents. Perhaps there's a, a you know, report or a slide deck to, to review just so that they can truly get a sense for themselves. Is this right for me or not? So we don't just put people in these things. We want to make sure that it's that it's a good fit um, because these do come with their own risks. Mm -hmm. And each one is different, I'm sure. Yeah. So as I was saying at the beginning of our conversation here, you have anything from ownership in a company to lending um, to property ownership. These all have different risk reward profiles. So because they're not publicly traded, they do come with a certain level of risk that you're tying up your money, but they have a range of risks. So you, so you really need to delve into these to determine which ones are right for you. You know, the, the private investments are not as heavily vetted 
as the public markets. They have their quarterly filings and, and such like, like that. These public, these privately held investments, you know, they can be a little wild, wild west. You have to, anyone can raise money and say, I'm going to put a fund together. So it's really important to do thorough due diligence prior to doing any of these types of investments. We spent, we spent a lot of time on it as well, but if you're thinking about doing some private investments on your own or, or with another advisor, make sure you really consider the risks, you know, do a background check, other things like that. Good stuff. Compliance Good stuff. will like that. Good stuff. Yes. <laughs> and how can listeners reach you if they are interested in learning more about private investments? Yes. So, so you can reach us by our website, www.fosterandmotley.com, or by giving us a, a call, 513-561-6640. So talk to the folks at Foster and Motley to determine if this might be right for you or not, and follow this Foster and Motley podcast about life and wealth to know when the latest episode is ready for you. Also, share with others. I'm Patrice Sakora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.